Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation Point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Rebecca. How's life treating you this week, Rebecca? Oh, um, (laughs) honest answer? No. (laughs) Not so good, huh? (laughs) Well, life's quite the ride right now, so it's it's good. Um, 
I signed a lease for a new place, and I'll be moving August 1st, and I've just been gearing up to move my business and all my stuff. And, yeah, and keeping up with everything is challenging right now. Yes, especially with your two boys at home. Yes, exactly. Like, uh, I took them out today, but I fit some work in, and we made it back for the radio show. So we're... um, Hey... Yeah, it's yeah, like going yeah. on in New York State now because between the people who want school to reopen so that they have some place to park their kids and the teachers who do not want school to reopen. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so um I don't know if like even if school does reopen here, you know, we've been doing some homeschooling before and it's just yeah, it's tricky though because of the amount of work that you have to do to maintain your life and <laughs> to have your kids at home, too. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not the easiest thing. It's so we're, we're all being changed in so many different ways by the COVID days. And oh, how my we, goodness. Yeah. How we have and haven't responded to them and what what it has caused us to change or to hope to never change. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of change going on. Everything's changing. Yeah. yeah. So the Catskills mm-hmm. were always the place that the people from the city came to beat the heat, but we have been in a really deep heat wave here this week. Everybody just gasping for breath. It's been so hot up in the 90s, which is quite unusual for us. Yeah, it's it's in the 90s here right now, too. And uh, it only gets this hot like a couple times a year, really. But uh, it's supposed to cool back down to the 80, to about 80 tomorrow. So uh, thank you. I hope it will here, too. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. How are you feeling? I'm personally feeling quite good, doing a lot of work, uh, getting ready for the Green Goddess Apprentice Week, and uh, um, uh, everybody who's coming in from all over the place for that, um, and so happy that um, I decided early in the year to continue to have classes and moon lodges and work weekends, and we are all healthy and happy and enjoying um our time together, because there's so few places where you can have time with other people. But here in the country, it's pretty easy to stay six feet apart. Yeah. So really enjoying that part of it. I took uh, somebody out for their day with Susan Weed over the weekend, which is five people for five hours for $500. And it was just a delight because the uh, woman who booked me was married to a man who was very dubious about the whole thing. In fact, at the end of the day, he said, well, I guess I was really wrong. I told her we wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to find any medicinal plants here. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we found everything from plantain, the obvious mm-hmm to um, Hypericum perforatum, which I knew had to be there. It took me 
the lunch break to walk around and, and call it up and say, come on, show yourself to me, because it wasn't blooming. And it be, can be kind of hard to spot when it's just green leaves. So I was happy that it waved to me and said over here, and of course we found motherwort and mullen, and some a previous owner had planted valerian, and there was Queen Anne's lace and um, yellow sweet clover and just a whole riot of wonderful, wonderful plants. And to, to see his face when he took a bite of the wild salad and he looked at me and he said, goodbye lettuce, I'm never eating lettuce again. So that certainly yeah, made me smile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and to know where to find it all. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. This evening at 9 o'clock out here on the East Coast, we're going to be talking to Ellen Kami, who is a Ph.D., an R.H., an A.H.N.B.C., and an A.H.G.R.H. Or as somebody once said, there are more letters after my name than there are in it, and I think that's absolutely true of Ellen. And she is called the natural nurse. So... uh, one of the more interesting things she do, does is she leads ecotours for cures to indigenous areas of the world. We're going to talk to her and find out more about that and the other things she does. So stay with us until 9 or come on back at 9 and hear what Ellen Kami has to say. We have a lot of people on the line, but not so many people that have raised their hands. If you have a question for Susan, please press 1 to speak with her. There we go. Um, are you ready to take the first question, Susan? I am. All right. The first caller is coming from the 845 area code. Is that me? Hello? Hi. Oh, hi, Susan. It's Debbie. How are you? I'm doing well today, Debbie, except I'm a little too hot. Yes. Well, and that's what I'm calling about. <laughs> I have... um heat intolerance and so I got some elderflower because I read in your menopause book that that can help to regulate your internal thermostat and I was wondering if the best way to use it uh, I already got a pound of the elderflower herb but um, and I was wondering if I should make it into an infusion and would that be I'm one, not sure the dried elderflower will do anything at all. It won't do anything? It's elderflower tincture that's used. Oh. Okay. Um, I mean, you can try making it into an infusion. I, I, you know, I don't know. I've just never used dried elderflowers. Oh, okay. Well, I was going to get the um, tincture. I called up. Mountain Rose, and they didn't have it. They don't make the uh, tincture. Do you know someone else who would? I usually um, like Catskill Mountain Herbals for tinctures because she uses fresh plants and 100-proof vodka. And um, there's also, um, oh, my mind is drawing a complete blank. Red Moon Herbs, they use fresh herbs to make their tinctures, but they do use um, grain alcohol. Uh Uh-huh. 
You think that's okay? I'm not sure what you mean by okay. Well, um, grain alcohol is um, is that what's usually used in a tincture? I don't tincture? make my tinctures in grain alcohol. I make my tinctures in 100-proof vodka because I think it's kinder and nicer to the body, which is why my first suggestion was Catskill Mountain Myrtles. So your, um, I'm sorry, uh, your first suggestion is what? Catskill. Oh, Catskill Mountain? Oh, okay. Mountain Herbals. Okay, I got it. Fresh plants and 100 proof vodka. Oh, all right. Oh, that's what I'll do. And and so would you take that, um, the, uh, how many drops of the tincture um, would you take? Well, how many I take has no bearing on how many you would take, does it? Hmm. All right. Well, I'll I'll try that. Well, um, I suggest, I ha- in general, if you're trying out an herb that you haven't been working with, is to start out with a small dose. Right, right, right. See if that small it, dose has an effect. And if it doesn't have an effect, then increase the dose until it does have an effect. Would you say the average dosage is like 30 drops? I don't know any average people. All right, all right. <laughs> I have one other question. I I've been making infusions for uh, you know at least a couple of years now, and I'm not sure if I'm doing this wrong or not. And I'm a little lazy. And after I make the infusion, I don't strain it. I just put it in the refrigerator and kind of strain each glass as I'm drinking it, should I strain it as soon as, soon as it's, it's um, completed and I'm putting it in the fridge? I don't understand how that's lazy. That's so much more work. <laughs> well, that's what I've en- ended up doing. It once, to strain it four or five times. Wow. What a lot of effort. I know. And then you still have to squeeze the plant material to get the last of the stuff out of it. And now you have like that kind of stuff at the bottom that you just have to drink on its own instead of it being mixed in with the rest of the herb. All right. I think I have the answer. I should strain it after um, I've made it and not uh, do it the other way. I generally don't work with shoulds. (laughs) My teachers have always taught me not to should on myself. Right, right. Well, uh, the other thing is if I don't strain it when it's done, it's going to continue to get stronger and stronger. No, it's not. Oh, it won't? Oh, how okay, that's get, good. How is it going to get stronger and stronger? By what process? All right, I thought by soaking longer in the water. How long are you letting it be in the boiling water? Um, I usually do it overnight, like you suggested. Then how then, on earth is it going to get stronger if you've already done it the maximum amount of time? I don't know. That's what I thought. There's certainly I no way. Be, I might be wrong. No way that I know of for that to happen. Oh, okay. Well, that's good news. All right. Uh, do you Can you think of any other herb that, or do you think elderflower is the best for heat intolerance? Tell me more about your heat intolerance. Well, it came on after maybe about 15 years ago. I was um, 
out in the sun in the middle of the day, pushing a wheelbarrow up a hill, and I think I got a, a heat stroke. And ever since then, I've been heat intolerant. I still don't know what happens. I have no idea what okay, happens. Okay, my face, my face gets bright red. I start sweating, I think, and I feel dizzy, and and I kind of feel sick from the sun. And does that happen? And the heat. Does that happen as soon as you step out into the sun? No, no. And I and I've tried to go out every morning so that I become acclimated to the heat, and that's helping. But what it happens um, when there's a heat wave, and um, and maybe uh, um, and maybe I go out in into the heat or the last time it happened I'd taken a, an Amtrak train and I got off in Rhinecliffe from from Watertown that's a five hour drive and a, a ride and um, I got off the train and it was you know brutally hot and I uh, had to lie down in the in, on the bench in the train station there's no AC there and I'd come off of a air-conditioned uh, train, and um, you know it, ha- it doesn't happen so dramatically, but you know uh, I, it's hard to be out in in the heat. And I used and to be a you person. You feel tired. You feel faint. You feel dizzy. Yes. You, yes. All of My those face things. is bright red. Mm-hmm. So, are you drinking like your infusions iced? I I put like a cooling scarf around around my neck, and I take. Are a, you drinking your infusions iced? Oh, okay. All Is right. that a no? No, I don't. But I will. It's Are you saying that's good? It's you to drink almost all of your beverages iced. Let me turn this fan off. can hear better. Um, uh, I should drink up most of my um, beverages, beverages iced. With ice, with a lot of ice. Mm-hmm. Okay. And especially the infusions. Okay. And how much water are you drinking? Um, well, I've been making um, an electrolyte drink with um, some lemons and um, water and, and a little bit of salt and a little bit of uh, coconut sugar. Mm-hmm. So I've been drinking that or coconut water or the infusions. Well, that's certainly better than drinking plain water. I'm glad to hear that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, because water actually dehydrates you. Wow. I didn't know that. Your, every cell in your body is surrounded by a lipid layer, and lipids are fats. And how do fats get along with water?
How do fats get along with water? Um, they don't seem to get along. Correct. So the more water we drink, the more dehydrated we become. Okay. Which is why I like people to drink nourishing herbal infusion, because it actually mm-hmm. hydrates. And especially which, if it's iced during hot weather. Which infusions you, would you drink in, in, the, in this heat? Stinging nettle, oat straw, comfrey leaf, red clover, linden, and hibiscus. Okay. Linden and hibiscus. So which ones are you drinking? Um, I'm drinking um, oat straw, nettle, red clover, and um, comfrey. And then I got this uh, elderflower. Linden is one of the world's best anti-inflammatories, and you're having oh. an inflamed response. Mm-hmm. Are you not drinking linden because you don't like it? No, I didn't know. I didn't know to take um, linden. It's one of the five major herbs that I rotate through. Oh. All right. Well, I'll try that. And and that could help with um with this heat intolerance. I think it might. Mm. All right. And you don't think that that, that um, elderflower, even if it's a tincture, uh, will be as beneficial? I'm not sure I said anything even remotely like that. Oh. No, you didn't. I was reading that <laughs> into what into our conversation. You think it's worth worth a try, the elderflower also, or you think linden linden flower is a better choice? You're asking me which of your friends you should ignore. <laughs> Okay. So take them both. I generally don't take infusions any more than I take eggs for breakfast. I eat my eggs and I drink my infusion. Mm. Okay. That's right, why I call well. them nourishing herbal infusions. Mm-hmm. Right. To remind us that they are not medicine, but food. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm going to add those, those other, the other two herbs that you just mentioned, the linden and the hibiscus, which is wonderfully cooling. Mm. All right. Well, I'm going to try that, and hopefully I'll cool off. I think that you're on a good track. Thank you, Susan. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for your call. Green blessings. Green blessings. Bye-bye. The next caller is coming from the 828 area code. 
Are you there in the 828? Yes, I'm here. Hi. What's up tonight? Hey, uh, Susan, I um, was diagnosed with um, with yeast on my tongue. So, do you have what any a, idea? What a drag. It's also what? called thrush. And there are remedies in the childbearing your book for thrush. In the in the, in the childbearing. Okay. Uh huh. And, and right. who diagnosed you? And so I all I have to look it up in that book. Uh-huh. All and, right. Uh, no, who who diagnosed you? Um, an ear, nose, and throat doctor. I okay. went in and they took a swipe out and, and they said, "You, this is what you have." And um, okay. So I, I have, you been, have you taken antibiotics recently? Is this Moretta? Yes. Yes. Okay. Took me a minute to recognize your voice. Have you been taking antibiotics recently? Yes. Okay. Because that's about the only time that I know for that to happen. Is when wow. antibiotics. Wow. Isn't yes. that something? Yeah. yeah. Um, so the primary remedy is plantain seeds soaked overnight. Plantain seeds? Yes. Wow. So where do I get plantain seeds right now? Yeah. That's a that's a tough part is getting things right now. You know. That come so. Yeah. What I encourage people to do. To do is to, of course, to harvest some plantain seed every fall, so they always have some on hand. Um, yeah. But yeah, Metamucil is plantain seeds. You can buy that at the drugstore. What is it called? Metamucil. Uh, hold on one second, and uh, let me write that down. Could you spell it? Uh, you know where to M E M E T A M U C I L M U C I L Meta M E T A M U C I L Metamucil. Meta. And what is that? Psyllium seed husks. Psyllium. Psyllium is, is plantago psyllium. It's a plantain. Uh, seed husks. Yes. Yeah, and uh, it grows in South America. The yeast on the tongue. I guess the plantain seeds. Yeah. Seem to have a good ability to help reverse yeast overgrowth or thrush on the tongue. Yeah. Plant seeds. Plantain seeds. Husks. Wow. So, and the plantain seeds, that's called metamucil? The metamucil is made from plantain seed husks. Wow. Kidding. I can get that at the drugstore. Correct. Amazing. Yeah. Well, that's probably what I would have to get. And then yeah. that's soaked in cold water. 
But soak it in cold water? Soak it in cold water and apply it. <laughs> Sheer tongue. It, what, in cold water? Yes, soak the metamucil <laughs> in cold water. And right. then it can be applied to your tongue. And then apply it to the tongue? Correct. It will and get... Do it I shoot it out? Get, get very, it should get very um, sticky as it soaks in the cold water. And then uh, what do I do? I put it on the tongue and leave it there? Well, and dissolve and it, you will wind up eating it, right? I end up eating it. Yes, plantain seed is edible. It's edible. And is it, uh, you know, I have a very dry mouth. So is that It should something? moisten your mouth really well. It should moisten it very well. Yes. It's mucilaginous. That's why it's called metamucil, because of the mucilage in it. Okay. All right. So I'll... Uh, can I get it from the drugstore tomorrow? So, you see, know, if that, also, see if that helps. Uh, Meanwhile, if you have slippery elm balls, you could try sucking on a slippery elm ball. That might also help. The, the slippery elm? Yes. At the very least, it will moisten your mouth. The slippery, slippery elm and, uh, with the honey? Yes, unless you like just, you know, like... My daughter Justine likes making cyprium gruel. She just likes to take the cyprium powder and pour boiling water over it and make like a a thick tea. Aha, yeah. You know what? I actually uh, use that every night for a bowel moment. I I do it like a tablespoon, and uh-huh. I pour I pour very hot water over it. And it kind of melts down to sort of this gruel kind of a thing. And then I, uh, you know, and then I, of course, let it cool down, and then I drink it. And All I do right, that, wonderful. I do that every single night, and that works like miracles because I have, you know, a lot of problems with my back, and the only real exercise I get is, uh, you know, I swim for 45 minutes every day or an hour, and uh, so I still have a lot of inflammation in my back, and uh, and so it's, it's actually the bay tissues are like burning in flames on my back. Is that something that I heard it and ended up losing a lot of weight? And uh, my doctor said, oh, it's your bones. I lost about 30 pounds. So I'm very, very skinny. And he says your bones are bothering your skin because you lost so much weight. But the inflammation really happened when I injured uh, the muscle uh, on each side, you know, my butt. But... In uh, in February, and I still have this going on. So, you I'm know, so sorry. And, yeah, and you know what? Not a, I learned that, but then suddenly a week ago, the the um, pain increased and sort of doubled. 
And so I'm wondering if you have any kind. You know, I do your advice on red beets every day. So I don't have my blood pressure going up because of it. Or, you know, I keep my blood pressure down with having beets twice a day. Good for you. Yeah. And also I, of course, use... uh, And you're drinking comfrey infusion, yes? Comfrey? No, I'm not not drinking comfrey infusion. Comfrey. Comfrey is the ideal infusion anytime there's any difficulty with the bones, the ligaments, the tendons. I see, yeah. Comfrey infusion. You know what, I've been so, uh, because I've had this mouth kind of a thing going on, I've had uh, a lot of difficulties eating. You know, I, I told you I took that muscle relaxer, you know, back. And, right. Oh, and, yeah. And that I, really so you have trouble eating. Do you also have trouble swallowing? Um. No, but, you know, it's so dry that if I talk too much and, um, you know, like talk for an hour or so, I I also have what you call this post-nasal drip, which I think with this uh, this yeast infection has increased. So now it's sort of more irritated because of the yeast infection. So now I have a lot of sort of coughing um, because of just that post-nasal drip. So. Yes, that's especially when people have trouble eating, what I suggest is that they make as much of their food drinkable as possible. Yeah. Well, you know what? The, so this this the is the time when you want to drink a chocolate malt or a chocolate milkshake. Mm. Chocolate milkshake. You said that's something. Uh, with milk, actually milk in it, and chocolate? Yes. Wow. You know, what I what I do is I, eat, I have a lot of yogurt, goat yogurt. That's nice, but it's not necessarily going to help you gain more weight the way a malt will. Yeah, all right. But don't you think that uh, the, the goat yogurt and um, helps with um, both digestion and also uh, with, uh, you know, this thing on my tongue now, with the yeast on the tongue? You don't well, think it, goes- it does not seem to have helped is all I can say. No, I, I um, doesn't necessarily did, but what if I didn't do it? Can you imagine if I didn't do it? Oh, just got a message from Justine that for some reason the show is not broadcasting and people can't hear us. How, what a drag. Oh, that's really something, yeah. How odd. Yeah, yeah how odd, yeah. So you don't, uh, you know, I... I do uh, eat yogurt like three times a day just because I think it will help. At least help my digestion because I also have digestive problems with this whole thing. Here's what I have found. 
the, what? The, the, the vast majority of people who make yogurt pasteurize their milk. Yeah. And and that it's difficult to find yogurt that actually has live and active culture in it. Yeah, you know what? This yogurt is goat yogurt. From That's goat. wonderful. It's made from goat's milk, but that doesn't necessarily mean there's live and active culture in it. Yeah. Well, you know, I also take acidophilus uh, on the, you know, with it every meal just to see if I can't help my digestion you know and I put a tiny bit of uh, I'm talking a tiny tiny bit of, of apple cider vinegar in my uh, in the beets that I puree I just put a little olive oil and tiny bit of uh, I mean it's a fraction of it and uh, sounds yummy I, yeah, it is very, it is, it tastes very good. And somehow uh, my tongue kind of likes it, you know, whether, you know, and it also, I do a lot of the bone broths, you know, that you also recommended. And um, Excellent. That's the kind of thing that I mean about drinking your food. Yeah. And also, yeah. you know, you, you, really you, like. you talk yeah. about three things that you really like for the stomach, just... And one is um, dandelion, and the other one is yogurt, and the third one is potatoes. And so I find, and of the three you are in your book on uh, abundantly well, it says that that's the most soothing. And I find that for those potatoes, I can't have mashed potatoes because uh, it sort of goes down easier. And that is very soothing to my stomach. Oh, wonderful. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. So that is, your book is like, wow, the medicine in your book is like crazily, you know, needed, you know, around the world. I mean, that's just unbelievable. Because when I read that, I just made it my business to have potatoes every day, too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and also just, you know, to make sure that you get, like, enough uh, potassium in you and stuff like that. My stepfather, who is a neurologist, professor of neurology, he always said, uh, eat potatoes, not rice, or you'll pee your bones out. Eat potatoes because otherwise you'll pee your bones out. Wow, Interesting. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah, there's a huge difference. You know, he was well famous, you know, and uh, actually when he died, it was written up that he was the light in Denmark's sky for 40 years. Oh. Yeah, he was a very intense person. And that's Mm. what he said as his experience (coughs) as a doctor. As a doctor, okay, well, there's the word. Yeah. And that's what you're doing, and it's working, and it's helping you. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's it's a blessing to... uh, The day I met you was 
one of the biggest blessings in my life. And that's Thank you, Maretta. Very kind. That is at least 40 years ago. It and was. And we have maintained this loving, uh, powerful relationship with our love for the herbs and the natural world. You know. <laughs> we can hear how... Um, yes, it's quite amazing. Yeah. It is a, a blissful thing. I remember taking my children there. I have four grandchildren because of you. <laughs> you know, neither uh-huh. one of them could get pregnant. And uh, and couldn't even get a period. And you remember you giving her Don Kwai, you know, and I was just like, well, I have four incredible grandchildren. Two of them live right next door to me. Oh, how marvelous. How incredible, yeah, is that? Who I love and who is, by the way, uh, sending letters to God from, uh, <laughs> you know, so you're going to have to help me with my back. And she said, because when she was little, she said to me, Grandma, I want a, a small sister. Could you please, uh, do you know where God lives? I said, of course I know where God lives. She said, well, still there. I'll go get paper and pencil. And so at four years old, she wrote down, please, God, send me a sister. And we went to the, uh, to the mailbox. And and posted it, and just you know put down God and and uh, please send this this to God's address, and then she had a little sister nine months later. Isn't that, isn't that something? She said, you know what I'm going to do for you, Grandma? I'm going to write God a letter, and you are going to be be better. I'm going to get you better, me and God. All right. Wow. Is that beautiful? Marvelous. Incredible. It opened my grandchildren up to, you know, the higher power, you know, a a higher uh, vibration to get into, to stay in this life on a higher vibration, whatever you want to call it, the great spirit, you know, whatever you want to call it, God, the Buddha, or whatever. But it is that you get into a higher vibration of pure faith and love and feel that you are backed in this life. You have your back covered because good things are going to happen to you because you're a good person and you do the right thing. You know, that is, uh, my ex-husband says that, uh, and that is, he said, you do the right thing and then the right thing hopefully happens. If it does, it doesn't always do it because you do the right thing. But if you keep doing it, you can live with yourself. And that is the person you've got to get used to. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, a wonderful thing. And he always says, it's not my grandchildren, it is your grandchildren. I said, well, they also have a mother. So I said, no, no, it's all your grandchildren. <laughs> so he's very complimentary and he's actually helping me a great deal right now and he showed up and he said if there is I would do 
anything in this world for you to feel better. He said, anything. Uh, yeah, and I uh, said, how isn't that interesting? I have always felt the same way about you and, you know, dragged you off here and there and made sure that you had it. And he actually had prostate cancer uh, operated out on a and hasn't seen it ever since. So he's cancer-free. Yeah, and I, I told him, I said, go and see this doctor. And, the, and then when he walked in there, he asked the doctor, well, if you were me, what would you do? And he said, I'll operate it out right this second because your kidney numbers are so high. And, uh, yeah, so they did it on the spot. And I, what, what courage, my ex to have it, to just say, okay, let's do it. Yeah, and now he's cancer-free, yeah. and he's very, very well. And he wants me to be well like that, too. All right. And he, yeah, and he's uh, not afraid to pay for things and do stuff for me, you know. So that is uh, a, a, what a wonderful thing to happen like this. He said, I've always loved you forever. What a ever. wonderful but, thing to happen. Yeah, what a wonderful thing. For, yeah, that is, so you can see my life is full of wonderful things. I just need to be, get really well, you know. Yes. And yes. even this conversation when we're talking right now, the inflammation is actually talk, is actually almost turning into a very warming thing rather than pain. It's almost like it's being flooded with good endorphins, you know what I mean? I do. How Just from our, connect, our connection, you know, as if you're doing Reiki on me through the atmosphere or something, you know. It's unbelievable. The universal healing energy. The what? The universal healing energy. Yeah. Isn't that something? And I guess uh, we have this kind of Love and appreciation for each other. I want you to be really well, Susan. That is what I want for you. Thank and you that so much. Is, yeah, that is forever and ever and ever. I want you to be very, very well. And you will be. And I am. And you are. That is very, very great. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you. Yeah, Call, thank you. Call and let us know how the Metamucil worked, or if not that, if you were able to find some plantain seed from somebody. Yeah. Much love to you. And All love my you. love to you. Mwah. Yeah. Hey, Rebecca, did you hear that for some reason we're not broadcasting? Oh. Um, yes. Uh I had to create the show right before um, we came on, and I wonder if it didn't have enough time to boot the system or something because, yeah, this show wasn't for some reason created. Uh, so I, it was like about 15 minutes before the show came on that that it was made. So I, I think maybe that was the issue. that's the issue, but maybe it is recording and people will be able to um, – to listen to it after we're done. I'm not sure, though. 
Yeah, I hope so, too. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the next caller is coming from the 775 area code. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Hello. Um, I ha- Hi. I uh, signed up for your uh, Green Goddess workshop, and I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to make it. I'm hoping that with some help, um, you can help me get over the edge of this throat thing that I've been dealing with for a couple of weeks, off and on really a couple of months. It keeps coming back. Um, I have a, I started off with like a sore throat, and I gargled with yarrow tincture and water, and that helped, or salt water, that helped, and it, you know, it got rid of it, and it went away, and then a month later, it came back, and this time, it was even stronger, and I added propolis tincture, which was awesome. I did that, you know, gargled three times a day with that with a little bit of water, and then I drank it, and that helped a lot, um, but now it's the sore red throat part has gone away and now I have on the roof of my mouth what look like blisters. Um, I uh, gargle with uh, yarrow, tincture with a little bit of water and that's helping but you know I'm not sure if what else I can do to just you know finally get on with it. <laughs> uh, and I think it has something to do with maybe my bowels. So I've had IBS my whole life sort of thing and it, you know some days I'm good, some days I'm not. And I feel like if I can go to the bathroom, my throat feels like it gets better quicker. And I don't know if it's related or not. Um, and then another issue, my back, um, have, uh, disc issues from a car accident, which I've been doing really good, but here lately going through a lot of challenges. Now my back is flared up and my the bottoms of my feet are burning. So those are the two things that I'm challenged with and trying to learn how to heal myself. With that, and I would appreciate any feedback or help that you might have. Absolutely. So let's start here. Are you drinking nourishing herbal infusions? Yes, and I love them. Yes. Wonderful. Okay, so that's a good start. And you're eating a broad diet that includes gifts of the animals and well-cooked vegetables. Yes. Um, I, I'm not a vegetarian. Correct. Um, I could do better. And I started making soups again. I went like a couple of weeks where I was just eating yogurt for dinner. I, you know, just depressed a little bit, you know, Mm -hmm. just not depressed, but, you know, just feeling sorry for myself and just needing to tune out of life for a little bit. So I would just grab whatever's in the fridge. But last night I started making my soups again and cooking them for two hours or longer. Everything that you teach. Good for you. Excellent. Excellent. And then you can just grab that from the fridge. Yes, thank you. Yes, yeah, you know, make a lot because those soups stay good for a good time, good long time. And then if you just, you know, get bored with it, I just pack the remainder up and freeze it. And then in a couple of weeks when I'm not so bored, I take it out of the freezer and eat it again. Good idea. Yeah. So I so, I went to urgent the, care the yesterday. Thing the thing that I'm curious about with your sore throat. You said that you've had a sore throat for months, yes? It comes and goes, yes. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about a class that I did at a college called Your Herbal Medicine Chest. And it was a weekend class, two-day class. And on the first day, we one of the herbs we talked about was poke root tincture. 
and each of the herbs that we've talked about. And they were all tinctures because it was a first aid kit. Um, I passed around and let people put a drop of the tincture on their finger, in their palm, and then taste it. And on the second day, when I came back to teach the class, one of the students was waiting for me. And she said, yesterday, um, you let us taste the poker tincture. And I want to know if you brought it today. And I said, well, yes, it's in you know my first aid kit, my herbal medicine kit. She said, could I possibly have another drop? I said, certainly, but you have to pay for it by telling me your story. And she said, well, I'm very happy to. She said, I work um, on airplanes, and I have a chronic sore throat because of it. And I've mm-hmm. taken several rounds of antibiotics in an attempt to get rid of my sore throat, and it has basically done nothing. But one drop of folk root tincture got rid of it. I said, and why do you want another one? She said, because I never want it to come back. Okay, and I have tincture, and I can do one drop. I can do that. Give it a try and see if it is effective for you. The other really wonderful uh, remedy, but you're not talking much about cough, is mullein leaf tincture. There's no cough. There's no fever. There's no cough. Now, if I bend over like I'm having to move yet again, which is fine, getting rid of things I, I don't really need anyway, but when I bend over, all this mucus comes, and I start coughing for a little bit. Um, but other than that, there's no cough. There's no fever. There's no achiness other than the arthritis flare-up that I get every few months anyway. Um, it, there's, it's not a flu, and it's not even a cold. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a flu or a cold for there to be infection. Mm-hmm. There are all kinds of bacteria that can colonize the throat. Mm-hmm. And the stress of moving, of course, can cause any bacteria that are lingering in the body to get more active. Mm. I'm a little concerned about your feet burning. That is a symptom of diabetes. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if your blood sugar levels are stable, if they've been tested, where they're at. Do you know anything about that? I will test it. I should. And no, I, I was supposed to, and I never did, and because I didn't feel like I needed it. And but I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to test it. I just thought it was from my car accident. You know, my lower disc it flares up like my sciatica, and uh, you know, so I just assumed that oh, okay, it's the stenosis in my neck, and then the the disc thing in my lower back that's fine, you know, because I was supposed to have surgery for the surgery, $150,000 for each of those surgeries, and I couldn't do it. So I just assumed the burning feet was from that, and I just need to take it easy and not lift anything. But uh, I will look into the diabetes and hopefully rule that out. Yes. Let's just rule that out so that we can then, you know, say, okay, well, what else could be going on with your feet? But it's Definitely a red flag for diabetes when your feet are burning. Okay. All right. 
And there's enough, it seems like, inflammatory process um, going on in your body that that's certainly a possibility. Mm. Thank you for your time. I appreciate your help. Yes, indeed. I'm not sure that we have covered everything, but mm. I think that um, that we're getting there. Uh, linden, of course, is one of my favorite anti-inflammatories. And mm-hmm. so in a situation where um, it seems like what's happening is that there's a lot of inflammation, you might want to, are you rebrewing your linden? Mm-hmm. I forgot about that. Yeah, I, I had linden today, but I, yeah, I, I, I'm going to write it and put it on the refrigerator so I won't forget to re-brew it. Re-brew it. Brew it to get that extra mucilage out of it, which is so soothing and anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. The first brew gets the minerals and the nutrients out, but the second brew gets the mucilage, which is the soothing part of it. Now, when you re-brew... Do you put cold water and let it sit at room temperature, or do you I do. pull it in hot water I put again? cold water, and I bring it up to a boil. So if I've made it quartz linden, then I strain it off, and I put two cups of cold water on the herb in a pan, bring it up to a boil, turn the heat off, and let it sit for about four hours. Four hours. Got it. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Green blessings to you, and thank you for all you do. And and, um, I I hope to hear from you, not just at the blog talk show, but you have my number to give me a call and let me know um, what's going on and what you think is going to be happening so that I can plan. Okay, yes, yes. And I left you a voicemail on the Wise Woman Center phone number um, about everything. Okay, thank you was, so much. That was, that was today? Uh, it was yesterday or the day before. Okay, I will jiggle my message taker to make sure that <laughs> um, that message gets to me because I haven't seen it yet. Thank okay. you so much. Thank you. Uh, take care. Green blessings. Green blessings. The next caller is coming from the 715 area code. <laughs> Hi there. Can you hear me? I can. Hi. Um, I have been waking up with numbness in my hands and arms and sometimes my feet, and it's been really disruptive. To- I'm sorry? I can't uh, hear you now. So, you can't hear me at all? Now I can hear you. I just... There was a bunch of static and odd sounds. Sorry about that. That's okay. Um, You've been waking up with so, numbness in your hands and your feet, and it's disturbing to you. Yeah, and it's disturbing my sleep. I'm just saying I already have enough sleep issues, so it's been, been really... So the numbness, is, is, the numbness wakes you up? I... I don't know if that's why I wake up. I'm not sure. It's possible that. Well, I think sometimes it, sometimes it wakes me up, but like. So normally, like I sleep, I sleep in shifts of like. Anyway, and that's that is generally still when I wake I'm, up. I'm 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 losing you again. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I can't I hear you again. From I'm not oh, able to hear you now. Um, it keeps breaking uh, up. A little bit better. Hello? I'm so sorry. It's okay. Sorry. I don't know what's going on. Um, I don't now know I can... where I left off. <laughs> now I can hear you. Okay. So you so wake anyway, I'm just... and to sleep in shifts, you were saying. Yeah, I tend to sleep like in three or four hour shifts, even without the numbness. And I and that still seems to be the case. Like I'll I'll wake up and after three hours, and and I'll and my hands will be numb. Um, and I sometimes I do think I wake up from it. Sometimes I don't think I wake up from it. So if that helps at all. Um, most indigenous people sleep for three to four hours get up, do some activity, and then have another period during the day where they sleep for three or four hours. Okay, yeah. I have heard you say that. But, um, so it's a pretty natural, natural way to sleep. Um, nothing wrong with that at all. Um, it's basically modern industrialized societies that have decided that we should sleep for eight hours at once. Yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too bothered by that schedule. It's just the numbness. And could you tell me a little bit more about the numbness? Is it a tingling or just a numbness? Um, sometimes it's just like a small tingle in a couple fingers. Sometimes it's like my hand, my whole hand is numb. Um, usually it's just. And, and how long does, how long does it stay numb? It usually just like you know a minute or a few minutes, so it, it doesn't it doesn't last. Um, but and and it's only when I sleep. But I've I've noticed like throughout the day when I'm awake, I also have a lot of like weakness in my arms. Like holding the phone right now is is pretty uncomfortable. Um, I have a lot of neck and back tension, so I'm guessing that it's stemming from that. I just I just don't know what to do. I agree with you. I think that the numbness and the tingling that you're experiencing um, has something to do with muscle weakness. Mm-hmm. Is it possible for you to see a physical therapist even for one session? Um it it might be possible i've i've definitely done that before i i had i have had many many sessions with a physical therapist um about this problem about the numbness and tingling in your extremities it it wasn't about the numbness it was about um just general um back Back, like tension and stiffness, and because I I've been in um, a few car accidents throughout life, so I I didn't feel that this particular lady helped me, and um, I've also seen chiropractors which I didn't feel helped me, and I'm I just feel like I'm running out of 
of, of I don't know who the best person to see is. Well, the reason that I think about physical therapy is because the physical therapist can help pinpoint which muscles are weak. Uh-huh. Okay. And that yeah, I can, need that. Yes. And that's hard to do on your own. And mm-hmm. then once those muscles are pinpointed, um, it's usually pretty easy to find some exercises to strengthen those muscles. So you think it's likely just from my multiple car accidents in the past and t- neck tension? Because what's interesting is it's, like I it go is, through... It is frequently true that this kind mm-hmm. of um, sensation has to do with an underlying muscle weakness, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, you know, I, I go through weeks of not having it at all, and then all of a sudden weeks, there's a few weeks where I have it again, and I just can't figure out what, what the pattern is. I don't feel like I'm necessarily under more stress than normal, So, but I, I do work at a computer, but I I. I don't work full-time. I intentionally keep it only part-time. So, but I that's, that's great advice. I'm going to see what I can do with a physical therapist. Yeah. Yeah, since you're familiar with physical therapy, that I think mm-hmm. might be a good starting place for you. And the physical therapist, of course, could also um, more easily than I tell if there was anything else that was going on. Okay. So no particular herb for such things? Well, you're drinking your nourishing herbal infusions, right? Yes, yes, I am. Although I feel like I bet Comfrey is the best one for this, and that's the one I I don't drink because I'm I'm so freaked out because of the whole, like, controversy over it, even though I've, you know, heard you talk about it so many times. Uh But the... I so got what, my comfort. What controversy? Has anyone shown you any um, reports or any studies that show that there's a problem with comfrey? <laughs> no, no, definitely not. It's it's just like that. There's warning labels all over the comfrey that I got not to not to use it internally. Comfrey that and I've I know. been drinking for thirty years has the same warning label on it. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, I, I get it from Frontier. I don't suppose you ever drive faster than the speed limit. Oh, no, I always do. <laughs> oh, well, gee. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I just know that you've, you know, you've said it, Uplandica is the, the one you want, and that's not what Frontier apparently uses. That is what Frontier uses. They just won't change the label. Okay, okay. Well, I feel better hearing it confirmed from you. <laughs> I've well, been using Frontier Comfrey for a very, very long time. Wow. Okay. That's great to know. I, I was doing it for a while, and then I started, you know, just overthinking it. And But that's good to hear. I know that's supposed to be good for the bones and ligaments, so I don't know if that would be beneficial to me. Or not. I've certainly found comfrey extremely beneficial in times when I've had injuries that I need to mm-hmm. heal. Okay. 
Well, this is helpful, and uh, I think that's that's all I got today. All righty. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. The next caller is coming from the 209 area code. Hello. Hello. Hi. I I can hear the program just fine. Um, I came oh, on good. a little late, so. Um, but I am having problems with my um, balance and my inner ear. My ears plugged up. Um, I've been. I had a bad case of bronchitis in January. That. Um, Drinking the the mullen really helped my cough, and I got rid of the cough, but my ears have been plugged up for months, especially the left one, where I'm having trouble hearing people, and I did go to, pardon me? Oh, dear. I went to the. I finally went to an ENT, but all he said was it should resolve on its own. Um, he said he could put a tube in there like they do kids, but you know that's a little surgery, and it'd be, it'd be better to just have it resolve on its own. I was wondering if there's. I've never had this problem. I'm 63 years old. I'm just wondering if there's a way of drying that out. And I am, I am experiencing balance problems. And when I cough, it makes it worse. So I was just wondering if you had any ideas for me. Well, you know, they're suggesting that they treat you as though you were a, a young person with an ear problem. And what is generally done with young people with ear problems is mullen oil. Is what mullen? Mullen oil, infused oh, oil. Mullen of, oil, okay. Infused oil of mullen flowers, which is gently warmed and put in the ear to help resolve any ear problems. Okay, good idea. I wonder why I didn't think of that. Okay, thank you very much. And my, I'll try that. And my only other issue is with the nourishing infusions. I, I find the red clover and the comfrey very astringent, and I'm not. They are. There's several ways around that. One is to heat them up and have them hot with honey. Another okay. way is to add a tiny pinch of your favorite mint. Okay. So in I red clover, I put after dinner mint, which is the strongest peppermint going. But just a pinch, literally oh. a pinch, the amount that I can get between my thumb and my forefinger. And in the comfrey, I add a Monarda didyma, the Oswego tea, red bee balm. Okay. Um, and I add, and I add one, one flower on its stalk to each ounce of comfrey, so it's a tiny amount. Does um, Frontier sell that? I don't know. I've had trouble. 
finding that. I grow it. Oh, okay. Okay, and it, is there any problem it, it, using stevia? Um, if you like it stevia, is. I find stevia hideously bitter. Okay, but stevia would be fine to sweeten my uh, fusion infusion with. Yes, if you, of if, honey. You, if you want them sweetened, I do prefer honey, of course. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, honey has medicinal you, value, Susan. but it doesn't. Uh-huh. Well, thank you very much. I will let you know how the mullein oil works. Wonderful. And Great. I wasn't aware that Metamucil is plantain seeds. Is that what you said earlier? That is indeed what I said. Huh. Very interesting. Okay. Thank you very much. Have a nice night and green blessings to you both. Green blessings. Good night. Good night. night. The next caller is coming from the 845 area code. Hello. Hello. Good evening. Am I being heard? I can hear you. Thank you. So I wanted to report that um, the pain on my left side is still there. I'm going tomorrow to an osteopath. Uh, It's a month that it hurts. Um, The shoulder, the upper arm, and the left side of my neck. And I also had some kind of not deep pains in my chest, but some. So I took um, nitroglycerin about two or three times because I'm trying to avoid taking anything that looks like a pill. Um, What concerns me is that... um, the doctor said that the left side of my heart is not working properly, and it is the left side of uh, myself that the pain is not going away. And as I'm doing my tiny little exercises every day, uh, I start having pain in my lower right hip and in my right shoulder. I I had some pain in the past from trying to put my... Uh, shingle cream by myself on my back, and that's uncomfortable for my shoulder. Um, Basically, it's like I I am a map of of pain, uh, not as much as this uh, stiff shoulder that that is really hard to to move and uh, to use. But the rest of me also, um, I never had problems in my knees now. As I'm going up and down the stairs, uh, trying every day to move a little, uh, I'm getting a pain in my right knee. Um, I don't want to say that I feel that the pain is spreading all over me, but it is very uncomfortable. And uh, I noticed it's hard for me to lift the teapot full of water when I make my tinctures and, and I don't, I can't lift it with my left but even with my right 
uh, I was listening to the program until now, and I thought, yes, well, um, I'm not lifting weights. I am, you know, moving around not too much, but uh, I'm not lying in bed all day. I mostly listen to music and read books and cook um, and go out in the evening for a gentle walk and going up the stairs at the post office. If you have any idea. Have you been working at all with Hypericum perforatum, which is St. John's Wort or St. John's Wort? Uh, I, I tried to work with that uh, for my shingle pain, but that didn't help, so I'm not. I'm I'm taking the tinctures that you told them. Uh, the, the infusions that you told me. I think me. as a real ally anytime I have muscular pain. Oh. This, the hypericum. I, I have to say that I'm not used to take all kinds of things for my well-being, and there is a part of me that doesn't like to take more of this and another herb and another herb. Uh, it's like the infusions already put me on a program that, um, yes. The uh, infusions are not a program. The infusions are food. Yeah, it's true. But because I didn't drink them all my life and because <laughs> I'm not very young, <laughs> they appeared in my life maybe a little too late to feel like, oh, this is nothing. Like instead of water, which I love to drink, as I told you, I love salt, so I drink a lot of water. Uh, and I heard that water is really not good for me. So drinking uh, infusions, it doesn't feel comfortable. It feels like I am on a regimen of medication, even though it's food. I take the mother work tincture and the hawthorn tincture and the, uh, I took the nettle and now I'm No, uh, I think of these things like exercise Yeah, I am exercising. Go out and you walk you have a mild walk, you go up the stairs and that isn't a regime I do that, I love to move, I love to dance when I, you know, when I was younger uh, it's very painful uh, these days. Uh, I'm doing uh, about a half an hour exercise routine that is basically moving the joints. And I know it's very good for me and it's effortless. I lie on my back. I'm doing it gently. And no matter how gently... What I'm is, doing is I'm comparing drinking infusions to exercise. Yeah, yeah, they're both gentle, and I feel like I'm busy all day being gentle with myself. It's a little annoying. <laughs> I hear you. So uh, I'm going it's to... It's absolutely true that for most of us, um, being healthy does require some focus and some input. Yes, I I I I'm becoming aware of that, and I I notice I don't like it. Um, yeah.
And when I am really upset, yes, I feel a constriction in my chest. And, uh, well, you know, I I take the nitroglycerin and motherwort. And, uh, oh, I didn't tell you that uh, I'm not taking the medication uh, in its full um, five milligrams. I, I break it into two and I take only half of it. And it really did not have any effect on my blood pressure. So I wish uh, at some point to feel strong enough to just let go of the other half also. I hear you. And and I, you know, the distinction that I make is that drugs have side effects which we don't necessarily want. Of course. And herbs have side effects that we do want. Yeah. So yeah. when we're making ourselves healthy by using herbs, um, the side effects that we're getting are greater health. Mm-hmm. And when we're trying to make ourselves healthier by using drugs, the side effects are usually less health. Um, if I wouldn't hurt so badly, and because it's on my left side and it reminds me of my heart, I would like very much to stop because I did that uh, some time ago. I stopped for for weeks taking any medication. I just, you know, I did my infusions and tinctures, and uh, I do not see a direct causality between what happened and the fact that I stopped taking the medication. Not necessarily so. Yeah. I hear you. And what I'm speaking to is um, hoping to make you more comfortable about working with herbs. Yes, I I totally, I am, I'm very open to that, and I'm listening to your programs, and I just told my daughter I can't see her on Tuesday night because even if I don't talk, I listen so much, and I'm soaked by the wisdom of what you're sharing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I hope your daughter's not mad at me. Uh, oh, no. No, no. Uh, I'm the one. <laughs> I'm the one who wants to see her more. But uh, now uh, it works out. We have other days. I just said Tuesday I cannot, I cannot come on Tuesday. All right. All right. So um, one of the things that I see is that frequently we wait until things have gotten very extreme. Yeah. And then only drugs can really help. And by using herbs on a regular basis, um, we can often forestall those problems Mm -hmm. so that we wind up not having to take drugs. Yeah, I have, you know, I think I'm lucky that I didn't take drugs for anything in my life, and I I hate drugs passionately. I'm sorry. I know it helps a lot of other people, not me. Completely understood. 
Yeah. And almost all drugs have unwanted side effects. Yes. I, I I say that the side effects are worse than the cure, the, the curable expectation. Yeah. And you know there are certainly times when uh, drugs are called for and useful. Yes, of course I I understand that, but you know we're not talking about God forbid accidents and uh, surgery and that. We're we're talking the. The, the desire to to organically adapt and and flow with what happens and to do the right thing daily and and consistently. And you seem to be doing a pretty good job. You're absolutely right about that. Only I'm in, in a lot of pain and I don't feel strong, even though you told me to take twice a week the nettle, and I do that. Uh, I feel, you know, and this is a feeling, this is not a medical opinion, that I am moving a lot less than I ever moved in my life, and for me, movement is like the breath of life. And you're moving less because you're in pain. Yes. Yes, I am. I am in pain. Yes, I am. I I keep pouring these things over me that it's for for the uh, shingle pain and the the shoulder pain. And, uh, yeah, I am in pain. That's the reality of it. Because otherwise, I I love to move. I that. I mean, I still listen to music, and thanks God, my eyes and my hearing are are still very good. Yes, wonderful. It's you know, there's a lot going on, and um, sometimes we just have to like settle in and deal with the pain. And sometimes, even when we're in pain, movement can actually um, help to moderate and ease the pain. Yeah, I I am aware of that, and, and that's what happened in the past. Now, lately, since I got this shoulder story, and, you know, I don't want to imagine that it's a premonition of a stroke coming on me, uh, now... After I exercise very gently and carefully, and I have a lot of experience in doing that correctly, I hurt after that, not when I do it. So, And so do you think that the exercise is causing the pain? No, but I, 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 it can't cause the pain. It's so minimal and so gentle and so subtle, and I know it's beneficial. I am afraid that maybe there is some form of allergy in my body that overreacts after I move, that, that, that it's not necessarily the movement, but something in my chemistry body is just like I'm coming out of a dream when I get up from the floor. Yes. One of the things that I do whenever I have muscular pain, especially after any kind of 
movement or exertion is to reach for my hypericum tincture. Okay, all right. Hypericum. And I take a drop or so of St. John's wort, I call it, uh-huh. rather than St. John's wort. And I find that that really helps relieve any aches and pains. How much do you take? A dropper full. Okay, one dropper. Shall I take that after I exercise or before? What do you think? Yes, both. Both? Both before and after. Okay. And... You know, I know this uh, This is all food, but I don't take all my tinctures at the same time. I, I still take them differently, uh, uh, separately throughout the day. I have asked um, quite a few people about how long things stay in the body. Mm-hmm. It's actually called the half-life of mm-hmm. the stuff. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Frances Moore LaPay. She no. wrote a book called Diet for a Small Planet. And then she wrote another book called, I think, Eating for a Small Planet. And in Diet for a Small Planet, she talked about the fact that um, proteins from plants are not complete proteins, that they yes. don't supply all the amino acids that we need. And then in her second book, she went on to say that um, you had to eat, for instance, this much beans and this much rice at the same time in order to make a complete protein. And she did not do her research very well because, in fact, the half-life of most amino acids is two to three days. Mm -hmm. So once you've consumed a protein, like if you eat beans and then you eat rice the next day, those are able to make a complete protein. You don't have to eat them at the same time. Well, I'm not a vegetarian, so I, I, I don't understand what What I'm pro- talking about is that you're taking things this far apart is probably meaningless. Oh, oh okay. So that means I can drink two, three tinctures, one after the other. Why not? Okay. Well, I just need to know because each one has... That's what I'm own. saying. I'm saying that things tend to linger in the body, right? Mm -hmm. That taking them uh, two hours apart, as far as I'm concerned, I have not found any evidence of any kind that that is useful. Oh, well, that's very helpful to hear. Thank you. That reduces pressure. (laughs) Okay. And it's okay to drink them with food, not necessarily without food. I'm not sure what you're talking about, drink them. Are you talking about tinctures? In the tinctures, yeah, the tinctures. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, again, what I keep coming back to is that I find that many people try to use herbs by the same rules that they would use for drugs. And herbs are not drugs. And they won't ever be drugs. Well, I drink them with food. I don't That's eat absolutely fine. I'm not sure why you're asking me about it. 
uh, because I thought maybe you that's why I am don't pain and maybe I'm doing it wrong or something. Mind that I know. Yeah. I thought maybe I'm not doing it right. That's why I'm asking. I'm not sure that there's a right. <laughs> okay. That's what I'm saying. These are not drugs. They're herbs. Yeah. And so the kinds of um, things that we need to watch out for when we're taking drugs um, generally, in my experience, don't really exist when we're working with herbs. Yeah. Fortunately, and I hope one day I'll stop taking that half, that half uh, amlodipine poison. Thank you. Well, anything that we take that we tell ourselves is poison. Um, you know, our body believes everything we say, so I think it might be counterproductive to uh, call it poison. Um, do you really want your body to think that you're poisoning it? Uh, no, I don't want that. The only reason I'm taking it, frankly, is because <laughs> if I go to my heart doctor and I, I'm telling her that I'm not taking anything of what she gave me, she would say, so why are you coming here? <laughs> I, I, you know, it's like I want to. What I'm reacting to is that you said you were taking something that was poison. And what well, I'm saying is if we are going to take something, if we have made a decision for whatever reason to take something, I personally find it counterproductive to say that I'm taking poison. Well, uh, since I'm taking only half of it, I'm not dizzy and drowsy the way I was, so... Definitely, it has an, a strong effect on me, even though the full pill is a minimal dosage for blood pressure. It's the yes. lowest dosage. I I explained to her that I'm oversensitive to any medication. So she gave me the lower dosage. I was still drowsy and dizzy and all that, and, and then I stopped it, and huh. then I and then I cut it in half, and the I'm saying probably doesn't have any effect because it's already half of the minute. Then we should check to see if our guest is here. Okay, thank you, Rebecca. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll I'll stop. Ellen Kami, are you here? I just need her to press one because I'm not seeing the 800 number that was provided. So if you're here, please press one. Here we go. All right. Ellen Kamhi, Ph.D., R.N., A.G.H.R.H., A.H.N.B.C., is a natural nurse. She's been involved in natural medicine since 1973. Dr. Kamhi is a medical school instructor teaching botanical pharmacology. She offers online and on-ground herbal certification programs, and do be aware that in the United States there is um, no legalization of herbalism. I also offer um, graduation certificates to my students, and when I give them to my students, I tell them this is a completely and totally meaningless certificate. It has no legal value of any kind. And she leads echo tours for cures to indigenous areas of the world. Ellen Kamhi is a professional member of the American Herbalist Guild and an adept at radionics and dowsing. 
She has authored many books, including The Natural Medicine Chest, The Alternative Medicine Definitive Guide, and Arthritis. Dr. Kamhi is also a radio host, and she educates professionals and consumers about how to care for themselves naturally. Welcome to the show, Dr. Kamhi. Thank you so much for having me. Wonderful to have you here. You've been involved for such a long time. Um, what got you interested in 1973 in natural medicine? Well, it was really quite a bit before that. It must have been 1964 when I actually began using natural medicine. And by 1973, I was a midwife delivering babies at home, actually, in um, Bisbee, Arizona, where I was living at the time. And seeing how profoundly using medicinal herbs could help women, both through pregnancy and labor, as well as after birth and in terms of lactation and nursing, and then um, from that specialty, I really moved to using herbs much more generally, really to help people get through all kinds of things in their life. And you were um, providing your own herbal remedies. There was somebody you knew who was providing the herbs for you. you oh, were no, buying- I went out in the field and they- gathered them. Yeah, yeah, I'm I, a wild. So you, were, you were actually creating the remedies yourself. That's right, and also at, in those years, there was less available commercially, but there were a couple of brands already on the market, and those I found useful because sometimes there was a specific plant that I might want to take advantage of that did not grow in the deserts of Arizona, although we do have there a very, very rich biodiversity. And truthfully, people who lived in that area, you could always find a plant for anything, anywhere you are. And that's true in every environment. Yes, the um, the Sonoran Desert environment is wonderfully rich. It is. So that was my, that was my first, um, you know, venture into really being able to see how powerful herbs were, um, also working with herbs on a communication level, um, gathering the plants, learning to be with them throughout the year. Because as we all know, even a plant in our front yard looks very differently between how it looks in the winter and the fall. Um, I mostly live in Florida now, so that gives us a whole different variety of herbal medicines. So wherever you are, there is plant medicine. If humans lived where you live now, then there are edible and medicinal plants because, you know, Publix or Stop and Shop or whatever's in your area was not always there, but plants were. I love how you put that, and it's so true. If humans lived where you live, then there are herbs there because humans made sure there were. True, and they, you know, also if they were going to survive, if they lived there before there were grocery stores and things like that, which is mostly all full of things you shouldn't be eating, then it's just a matter of education. And, of course, in today's world, another tension on that relationship is that the 
amount of humans on the planet has hugely increased the, to the point of if everybody did know all the wild and edible plants, they're going to disappear pretty quickly. So Maybe know, and maybe not, depending on what we choose. That's I true. Have, I, my experience, and perhaps it's somewhat different from your experience, um, with indigenous peoples is that um, I have yet to meet any indigenous peoples who worry about what's going to be left. I've had a great number of indigenous people take me out, point out a rare plant, and say that they use it for a cough. Right. And I go, I go, uh, 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 you know, this is like, you know, practically endangered. Um, what are you going to do when there's no more of it? And they said, and what they usually say to me is, we'll find a different plant. Right. So that's what I'm saying. And then if the amount of people well, actually, gathering increases. What I'm saying is that we have a, that most people who are using herbs now are not indigenous people. And so because of that, we are, in fact, um, less likely to harm the environment because we have an understanding, which we might call an ecological understanding, um, that I find most indigenous people actually don't have. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully, they, they, you know, they might, they like might you know, understand that the earth is their mother, mother and the earth provides for them, um, but they don't have a sense of, if I use this, it could be used up. And yet I find that, that a great number of the people that I work with do have that sense and are um, very moderate and careful in what they harvest. And it's certainly one of the reasons that I champion weeds. Right, because they don't get used up so much. Right. I'm, are you concerned that we're going to use up the dandelion? That would be one that would be hard to use up, yes. It would be very difficult to use up, exactly. So what I'm saying is that while that's a possibility and was a fact in most indigenous cultures, right, the Maori, for instance, ate every bird that weighed more than a pound and ate them to extinction. Right. Right. Um, that in in modern-day herbalism, and certainly the people that I have contact with, um, that's rarely done. I'm not saying it's never done. I was at a large herbal conference, and I was sitting at a dinner table with someone who uh, said that he was not an herbal harvester. He was an herbal extractor, and that he went to to Kansas with a crew and rented bulldozers to dig Echinacea. Right. And that he and his crew went to Florida and picked saw palmetto berries and that they picked five tons of saw palmetto berries for okay, a German like, firm, which then didn't want them, so they tossed them in the ocean. Right. You know, there's a lot of that going on. That's true. Is there a lot of that going on? I don't think that there's a lot of that going on. I have only encountered it once or twice, and the place where I encounter it over and over again is in essential oils. And, of course, the largest distributor of essential oils has paid millions of dollars worth of fines because of their ecological uh, bad footprint. And they say it's easier to pay the fine than it is to be ecological. Right. It's certainly one of the reasons why I never use essential oils. And not just because they're drugs and certainly not natural in any way. Well, luckily, they are healers, and that's why, you know, we love working with plants, and I love teaching people how to find their own, how to grow their own, how to honor and respect them, 
um, how to use them, when to pick them, how to process them, and how to honor them. And certainly, you know, it's a wonderful skill to have. And at this Absolutely. time... Absolutely. You know, and that makes herbal medicine people's medicine, that we look first to what's outside our door rather than saying, where do I find this plant? We say, ah, how do I use what I already have? And I love that you do that. Thank you so much for that. That's so... Um, such a blessed way to be, to to work with people in that way that you, um, you know, what's the Chinese saying that if you teach, um, if you give someone a fish, they only have fish for dinner, but if you teach them to fish, they'll have fish for dinner every night. Right, rather than just give them one, right, teach them how to raise them. Teach them how to do it themselves, and that's exactly what you're, you are doing. And you seem to do that in a lot of very interesting uh, venues. Um, do you have a favorite place to teach? Favorite? I don't know about that um, because there's so many places all over the world that I've been teaching for over 50 years. Um, a favorite place to me is where it's warm. In uh-huh. fact, that's so I will, I'm very curious about the echo tours that you take people on. Can you tell us more about those? Yes, we've been doing the Echo Tours for Cures for 37 years, and that's because one of our major teachers, who was Jamba of the Maroons, he was one of my major teachers of the tropical plants, and then he's no longer on this side, but while he was, he asked us to write down all his teachings and he asked us to publish them in a book, which is in the book, The Natural Medicine Chest. And that's a lot of the tropical, indigenous, maroon culture um, medicine that he shared specifically with us and mandated that we share it, which I thought was interesting because when I studied with Sun Bear, who was a rather well-known healer of First Nations and, and Native American people, He was another really brilliant teacher, and both he and Jamba made a conscious decision, and they both told me a similar thing, that in terms of passing the knowledge to a non-native or someone who was not of their own bloodline lineage, they both told me that they felt they wanted me to share the information because I was in their spiritual lineage. And they both told me interesting things about their own children. For instance, Jamba had 17 biological children, and not one of them was interested in what they call bush medicine. So he felt that a lot of his teaching would be lost until not only myself, but actually my herbal partner, Dr. Eugene Zamperone, who's now a naturopathic physician, but he met Jamba when he was 16 years old. And he wanted us to, you know, bring this knowledge forward into more modern times rather than it just go to the grave with him. How blessed we are that you were there and that you could do that, that you could fulfill that wish for him. Yeah, totally. And, of course, now, you know, people have that knowledge moving forward, a lot of which is lost. So, yeah, um, we still, 
have those classes available where we actually take groups of people there. We've taken hundreds, I don't know, maybe thousands. We've been doing it so many years. But we only take a pretty small group, like 30 to 35 people each year. And we actually live in the north coast of Jamaica, which is called Robbins Bay. It's not an area that's very built up. We do have um, very comfortable, clean uh, buildings, bungalows that we live in, but no air conditioning. You know, this is very rural. And we step back in time and live with, with an indigenous group of people who, you know, becomes our teachers during that time. We also do teach because I love everything from the medicinal aspects and the communication aspects, but also I love botanical pharmacognosy. And we do study both the active constituents, which help to explain the ancient cultural use. I never question if an herb, let's say, works or any kind of ancient teaching. If it's an ancient teaching, it works because otherwise it would not get passed down through oral tradition. But sometimes we'd like to understand a little bit more about how does it work? How does it work? Not everybody's interested, but I love all aspects of it. So we take many of the plants to the Natural Product Chemistry Laboratory, where we assay them for active constituents, for toxicological amounts. Very interesting, because I have found this with several plants. The way the native people use them, let's say, is in a tea, a very simple kind of tea. And it seems to work. They've used it for thousands of years that way. Another plant, they would put in their vodka and let it sit there and make sort of a, what we might call now a tincture. And, you know, when we took it to the laboratory and switched those processes like they often do in larger commercial settings, then it extracted out poisonous substances which were not extracted out if it was done according to the traditional native way. So that I have found very interesting as well. Yes, that they had a deep understanding of what process would yield the constituent that would be safest and most effective. Right. And, and somehow, you know, they weren't able to analyze that in the chemistry laboratory, but we are. But it always collaborates ancient knowledge and folklore. That's what I have found so fascinating, being a scientific researcher, is that we can begin to explain how and why something works that doesn't make it work better, but it does support the fact that this ancient knowledge has been in place for thousands of years. And, you know, now we can understand why, and I think it really supports paying so much more attention to the ancient traditions. I'm curious about people who had vodka thousands of years ago. How they got what? Well, you're talking about remedies that have been in existence for thousands of years, and you talked about they're making tinctures with vodka. Now, my understanding is that people didn't have uh, spirits, that actually it was the alchemists 
who realized how to create aquavita, which we would call alcohol, and that that's fairly recent history, certainly not thousands of years ago, although maybe a couple no, of years No, no, of course. They would have been using then water then. But, you know, it is, it is quite a hundred But in fact, what's done yeah. was that the herbs themselves were fermented. They were made into beers and wines. Mm-hmm. I mean, and if we look so at... That, so that the alcohol-soluble parts of them were available, but not that right. they were put in vodka. Right. It, well, right. No, vodka's not, not that old. But if we look at Hildegard, who I love studying Hildegard's methodology... And she was quite amazing and, and is supposedly the one who first used hops and did ferment it and find that it, it was really actually useful for nursing mothers as well because of the alcohol, not maybe because of the alcohol content, but it also fermented into alcohol. So I really love studying the ancient remedies that Hildegard uh, proposed and wrote down Wrote down. She was also quite an amazing feminist of her day. She certainly was. You know, she pulled the whistle on. Hey, you know, you all have been saying for thousands of years that women have nothing to do with making babies, and you're wrong. Yeah, I know. Right. So much. She's just an amazing, amazing, just eclectic, just brilliant, genius person who I, I really think is under honored. Luckily, she well, did I get her girls, and there, there are people who are just, you know, so much into her. Um, of course, as an herbalist, we all have some difficulty because frequently that she might create a remedy, but she didn't actually tell us the name of the plant that we know it by. Right, that's true. And so that that does create some difficult situations. It, it was that that made me understand um, why herbals um, actually go to the trouble to describe the plant. I had always been kind of, you know, like, oh, why are you doing this? I know what this plant looks like. And then I realized, wow, if Hildegard had done that, that the information she had left would be ever so much more useful to us all. That's true. And I guess that's true in the big discussion about many herbal traditions, those that are passed down only through oral tradition versus something like TCM in traditional Chinese medicine, where they really have documented the exact plant even many thousands of years ago. Traditional Chinese medicine is brand new made by Mao Zedong in the 60s. It's not thousands of years old. I'm sorry. Well, Mao Zedong, I don't know. What about the Yellow Emperor? Mao Zedong, the Yellow Emperor is not traditional Chinese medicine. TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, was created during the Cultural Revolution in the 60s in China. Right, but I'm talking about the Yellow Emperor. Okay, all all I'm saying is that's not TCM. Okay, well, whatever we call that. (laughs) that Whatever we would call that, right. And certainly we know for a fact that the Yellow Emperor is 3,000 years old, and it purports to have remedies that are that are thousands of years old in it, so some of those remedies could be quite possibly very old. Right, they could be. And they could, we don't he really did know. write down versus other traditions which, which carried things forward more in an oral tradition kind of way. So that was useful because they had very specific formularies, which when you make them the same way to, even in today's uh, culture, they still are effective 
and safe and beautifully balanced in terms of the herbal energetics. So I love that tradition, too. I've just been a student of this, as you have, for really pretty much my whole life because my original teacher was my grandmother, and she was uh, um, from Greece, so those were the, the plants that she grew in the yard and, you know, began teaching us and also taking care of all of us. There were 35 grandchildren that she took care of. Oh, my goodness. All those wonderful Mediterranean herbs. Yeah. And they did very well here. That was like in Coney Island and Rockaway in those years. But she really took me on of all the grandchildren and began teaching me. And also she did tea leaf reading, where she put the leaves in a cup. And by how the patterns laid out in the cup, um, it, it would tell her things. And, and all the women in the neighborhood would come over during the day. And a lot of the work that went on was surrounding the herbs and the herb gardens. And, of course, cooking with them, you know and uh, treating whatever little ailments the children had and doing uh, the, the tea leaf reading and other kinds of dowsing because she really introduced me to dowsing. And I integrate dowsing quite a bit with herbs as well because when we know, even through reading, experience, and study, what herb might be useful for a person, for an issue, for a time of year, for a time of day. Let's say there's a few herbs that we decide might be useful for that. How would we then decide how much to use for that person, for how long, in what combination? And I find that dowsing is very useful in terms of prioritizing and determining things like dosing and when in the morning, in the afternoon, all those kinds of things rather than just what it says somewhere, but we can more individualize it energetically to that individual. Just in case some readers don't know about dowsing, could you just say a word or two about what dowsing is? Sure, I'd be happy to, Susan. So it's really using some kind of tool to measure energy in the end. And there's lots of different ones. I have... Uh, several presentations that I do on the different kinds of techniques. Um, For instance, a woman named Michelle Small-Wright, you may be familiar with her work, she uses something that she calls kinesiology, which is a little muscle test with your fingers that is really dowsing. Other people use things like pendulums. And then clinics, and I ran a holistic clinic in Manhattan with Dr. Serafina Corsello. I was the head nurse there for 24 years. And we used very sophisticated-looking machines with computer screens and printouts and all this kind of stuff and actually hooked it up to individuals. But it was truly a dowsing machine in the end. What it did was measure energy fields. So there are many different ways to learn to do that. And I would say the first thing to think about that's simple is the use of a pendulum in dowsing. Um, Also, of course, they use that technique for finding water, for locating lost items. It's actually used in modern times by many energy companies as well as police departments. So it's had a, a very long life in terms of um, its usefulness. It's certainly not 100%. It's just 
a little better than a, just guessing because you're really interacting with that energy field. So that's why I like incorporating it as a technique. Very easy thing to learn. Um, most people pick it up right away when they just experiment with it. And there's some wonderful organizations like the American Societies of Dowsers that really have very good instructional materials. All right. So uh, various ways to um, connect in with your intuition and to get a sense of uh, what kind of dose and um, what kind of schedule you might want to use. I uh, was approached by somebody who uh, told me that he had made a big mistake, that he had eaten something for lunch that made him go to sleep. And I wasn't quite sure why this was such a big mistake until he told me he was supposed to pick his wife up at the airport. And then I realized, yes, indeed, it was a very big mistake. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> yes, because he, now he was going to be asleep and not pick her up, and this was not going to fly in their relationship very well. Right? And uh, so I told him to go get a glass of water. And while he went out to get a glass of water, um, I held my hand over my bag of remedies and said, who can help this man? And that, of course, is one of the most primitive forms of dowsing, right? That's true. Definitely. You know, that's, it, there's so many ways to do it. It's just where you're, you have a little leverage, like you said, a little leverage to what might be called an intuitive sense. But many people don't feel their intuitive sense is developed enough, while others, you know, can see light around objects and things like that. So it, dowsing is, a, is something we can learn to enhance our intuition. You put it that way, and I think that's an excellent explanation. Yeah. And, you know, when, when I was able to distinguish, you know, what herbs said it was willing to help, um, and he then came back with the water, um, I then held the dropper and um, allowed my hand to know how many drops to put in the water. Yep, exactly. It worked that way, right? Exactly. How many drops? Because for that person might be a different number of drops than for someone else. Well, also because it's not the kind of remedy that we generally use. We generally don't have people approach us who've eaten something that's going to make them fall asleep. Right. True. In fact, I've never met another person with that problem, so I never had to repeat this. <laughs> Uh, and, and yes, it was quite successful. He was able to go to the airport and get his wife. No problems. Yay! <laughs> Good. Uh, so, you know, sometimes people say to me, well, you know, these natural therapies, these sound good. I'm going to ask my doctor. And that well, really depends, you know, that yeah, really depends they how doctor, very well, does it? Most, well, the thing is, most doctors, as they will tell you, are not trained in natural medicine unless they are a licensed naturopathic physician who went to Bastyre or there's a college, Bridgeport, or National, um, or Southwest. Those, those people have a full medical education along with a full herbal education, but any conventional physician really has not taken one single course. The only thing they're taught is to tell people not to use any because they might interact with pharmaceuticals. 
That's about I had a, I had a situation, uh, Ellen, which actually caused me to go uh, into surgery, and um, they actually operated on me for 17 hours, and then put me in induced coma for another 13 hours. And um, needless to say, it really required um, some energy and effort on my part to um, recover from that. And because it's COVID days, um, no one was allowed to be there to advocate for me or to help me in any way at all. And I realized very quickly that I simply did not have the energy to both heal myself and to advocate for myself. And so I just let the advocacy go. And they gave me some very terrible drugs, Tramadora, uh, Gamma Penta, I mean, really terrible drugs. And when they were discharging me from the hospital, the pharmacist called and said, you know, we're sending you home with prescriptions for these drugs plus some other drugs. And you must take them. And I hear that you take herbs, and I don't want you to take any herbs of any kind with these drugs. And I said, Dara, you know what? I've been an herbalist for longer than you've been alive. You will not tell me which herbs I can and cannot take. And probably when I get home, I'm going to throw your drugs in the trash which is exactly what I did, despite her protestations that horrible, horrible things would happen to me if I stopped taking them. Right. Well, you know, it's a shame, um, the overuse of and incorrect use of pharmaceuticals. It is what's called standard of practice, and I think it's a crime, a sin, and, you know, really against humanity. But the doctor who was telling you that, I believe, not that I know her personally, was telling you her truth to the best oh, yes. of her understanding. In terms of how she'd been trained, absolutely. Correct. Yeah. Yes. It, but it's wrong. It is just wrong. And when you look at something like my own mom was recently hospitalized, and she weighs, she's 92 and she weighs 70 pounds. And the guy in the bed, you know, across the hall from her, is 55 and 250 pounds. And they had the exact same prescription in the same dose. And I went in and said to the nurse, does this make sense to you? Well, it's standard of practice. Right. I said, well, thank you very much. I said, I don't want my mother taking this. She said, then you have to be at the bed when they come around with the drugs and you are allowed to decline. But somebody has to advocate for you. That's exactly what I'm would have been given every one of those drugs. To advocate for you. And in COVID days, that can be very difficult. Oh, I'm so sure. I'm so sorry that happened to you. It's terrible. Um, well, I'm alive. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> and so that's that was our goal. We got clear margins. There was no lymph node involvement. There's no distant spread because, of course, I take very good care of myself. And they were rather astonished. In fact, I told um, one of the uh, all of the surgical teams that they were not working on a Ford. They were working on a Mercedes. And the lead surgeon afterwards, um, when I was on the re- recovery ward, came and said, you know, you told me that I was not operating on a uh, a Ford, that it was a Mercedes, but I have to tell you, you're wrong. You're a Ferrari. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> that so cute. I thought that was that was that he was actually able to recognize the quality of care um, that I have put into myself, and uh, that I say to people when we're working with the foundational medicines, um, even if we 
are in a situation where we need to use things. You know, ordinarily I would not be taking those drugs, to say the least. Um, but in that situation, after such extensive uh, surgery, uh, that's what was going on. And I pretty much was um, not in a situation where I could change that. Right. Um, but as soon as I could change it, I did. And um, so it's wonderful that there are professionals like yourself that people can learn from um, and perhaps have less fear. That's certainly yeah. one of the things that I see that you are doing is helping people have less fear. Well, I also, you know, right now my main goal is to make herbal medicine part of standard of practice because it is much better. We might need pharmaceuticals, absolutely, and they can be saved for appropriate use, not for every sniffle, cough, rash, and they go into a giant cortisone and all kinds of very harmful drugs, which are worse than the symptom. So really, they have such a place in natural and gentle healing with much better cost effectiveness, much better lower adverse effects. And like you said to the last guest, if they do have a side effect, it's usually that it helps something else besides what you're using it for. It really, but doctors should be trained in the use of natural remedies. And the only one who would suffer is not the doctor, because you still need them as the teacher, not the patient, because they would get better care, but the pharmaceutical companies do stand to lose. And do you think that the pharmaceutical companies are actively thwarting, then, the education work that you're doing? Absolutely. Absolutely. Of course. And, you know, even as we speak, um, their next attack is on homeopathics. Tell us a little bit about that, please. Well, in homeopathy, that's another whole healing modality, which I'm sure you're familiar with, where a lot of times the starting material is plants, but then you actually go into the realm of energy medicine, and there's no measurable amount of plant left. Now, it's too long a story. We could do a whole show on that sometime if you'd like. But the thing is, they have a very gentle action and very, very effective. There's lots of studies showing their positive effects. In other areas of the world, it's definitely used as the first line of defense. In fact, that's true for the royal family. Um, and really, really wonderful. And right now, if people were to go in a health food store, it says on the homeopathic remedy what it's for. Like it'll say the name of something, and then it might say, you know, for colds and flus, or it might say for itchy skin, you know, things like that. Well, what they want to do first is take the label off, and then nobody will know what to use any of these things for. And they want to take the label off because the law says, just like with herbs, that none of these natural remedies can cure any ailment, even though they can. So it's really a move by the pharmaceutical it's, it's industry. More than that, the okay. law is that one is not allowed to state that any substance can be used in the prevention 
That's true. Treatment or cure. Exactly. Right. Exactly that language. In other so, words, in other words, you could actually uh, be arrested for telling someone that a hug could help them not be depressed. That's right. Exactly. I mean, it's just the law is just really totally absurd. I, as um, herbs came into health food stores, and I was working in the health food industry um, for several years. A lot of my work was to go from store to store and help them set up their herbal departments and train their staff how to talk about the herbs so that they were not suggesting that they could be used to prevent, treat, or cure any disease. Right. There's a whole game around that. So, you know, that's awful because it's really built to stop the education of consumers about what to use to help themselves or even as a health provider what someone might be helped by. So the same thing is going on that they've been attacking herbs for many years and it's extending to homeopathy as well. One of the um, one of the things that precipitated my surgery was that after living with a fistula, a vaginal rectal fistula for nine months I had had it. It was, you know, not only disgusting, but it was incredibly painful. At one point, I said to um, my gynecological oncologist at Memorial Sloan Kettering, um, you know, the herbs are just not cutting this pain. Let's try something stronger. And she prescribed some oxycodone for me, um, which actually increased my pain about fourfold. I was actually left in a quivering lump on the floor, weeping piteously because it made me feel so bad. And so I continued on for months, only working with herbs. And the pain, of course, ratcheted up and ratcheted up. And so, again, I said to her, um, why don't we try morphine? Let's see if morphine is going to touch this pain. And first of all, I was astonished to discover that all morphine sold is flavored and sweetened. Oh, so, it, so it was more the flavoring that you were reacting to. So, so it was, it was like it was like candy. I'm like, wow, you know, are we worried about like children getting into this? Or are we trying to attract children to it? And um, the morphine actually made my pain about ten times worse. So, um, what I found um, was that um, in my state, um, I was able to become a legal cannabis user, and that my pain system is shut down by cannabinoids that just about in any way, whether I am taking um, cannabis oil, CBD oil, um, and I do take it in fairly large doses. I take about a 250 milliliter dose um, when I need to counter pain um, or whether I am taking the tincture of cannabis, um, which has both THC and CBD in it, Uh, which I respond to better. And the pharmacist I've talked to say most people do respond to a blend of THC and CBD in terms of pain relief far better than just the CBD alone. Uh, But that's what works. And I really harangued the people at Memorial Sloan Kettering where I had the surgery. Um, But they do not in any way prescribe or utilize any cannabis products. And what they said to me was the research is not good enough. Which is not true. Um, another association I have is I am 
on the Education Committee for the American Cannabis Nurses Association. And we are extremely strong advocates and are working very hard to have the legal use of cannabis integrated into conventional medicine as standard of practice because the evidence is there. You know, I've been involved actually in cannabis since 1964, one of the first herbs I ever interacted with. Yes, for for many of us. It's why American herbalism is the way it is because so many of us had experiences with um, cannabis and psilocybin and peyote early on in our careers. And now the fact that, you know, the legal environment is sort of catching up, the fact that the medical establishment is lagging so far behind, I have to say it's not surprising, but it's a a crying shame because people could be having so much better pain relief and, you know, with so many less side effects in terms of liver damage. In fact, it's supportive of liver health. Just really, really should be really used much more widely. And that's what the American Cannabis Nurses Association is focused on. Well, thank you. And any nurses who are listening, um, please get in touch with the American Cannabis Nurses Association. This is active work that needs to be done right now. I'm not the only person in the world who has a quixotic relationship to uh, opioids and opiates. Um, There are actually quite a few people in the world uh, where the cannabinol system seems to work better for pain relief in their body. Yeah, and and when they say there's no studies, that just means they are not reading the studies. That's what I think, too, because it looks to me like there's a terrific amount. Now, I was at a conference in Tucson, um, which was a three-day conference looking at uh, the use of these plants that we're talking about in the first day was devoted to um, cannabis and cannabis research. And one of the major researchers was there, and she was telling us some of the um, pitfalls and difficulties that she had in her research and that, in fact, none of her research was really able to see that um, cannabis was significantly different than placebo. In fact, um, one of her um, study subjects was a policeman with post-traumatic stress disorder, and he was actually in the placebo arm of the group, although he didn't know that. Um, And he has now become a spokesperson for cannabis to help resolve a post-traumatic stress disorder, even though he never took any, because it worked so well for him. Yeah, there's just on and on, and and I think so many people, you know, really are, look how it's going throughout all of the states now to where they are legalizing in various ways, sometimes just for medical use, sometimes for recreational use. Um, it's, It's definitely making a lot of headway, which I think is positive, but it's so ignorant, and the entire medical system is so behind in terms of the evidence-based use of all kinds of plant medicine. So is the American Cannabis Nurses Association making any headway? You know, I would say we are getting it together. There definitely um, are very supportive of 
being sort of nurse advocates and manning a lot of the dispensaries so that they are done correctly. Also, really understanding that there are sometimes, certainly that all nurses know, there are herb-drug interactions. So if people are already on polypharmacy, you really have to see how much of a cannabinoid that you're going to be using, and would it have THC or not, and would there be an interaction or not, or could some of those pharmaceuticals that are very harmful be decreased or eliminated and use one of the cannabinoid substances instead, since it has a better outcome and a lower adverse effect, and there is so much data to support that now. So I would think we are making headway, even by being an organization that is being invited to some mainstream medical um, conventions, well, in the old days when we used to have conventions, online Zoom meetings now or whatever it is. So um, certainly we are making a difference that way. I am thrilled to hear that. You know, for two years at uh, every large gathering that I went to, I asked as canvassed as many people as I could, both the herbalists and students, to find out which herb-drug interactions they had experienced or heard about, and the result was basically nothing. I will tell you, in working for 50 years, I have virtually never seen an herb-drug interaction unless the herb's in a capsule or if it's an herb that is known to have a specific alkaloid that does a specific thing, and it has been tinctured in grain alcohol. But my experience is that teas, infusions, vinegars, honeys, oils, um, and tinctures made in 100-proof vodka do not interact with drugs at all. Right. But we should know about it. Have you seen herb-drug interactions? You know, I have, and I would say in the area of um, psychiatric drugs, I have, because those are sometimes, you know, so strong, and they need to be in the blood in a very narrow amount. And if you if your amount drops too much, then you're going to increase um, psychotic episodes. And then a very healing and wonderful drug, such as milk thistle, which, of course, you're familiar with and you can collect your own, is extremely effective at changing the detoxification capacity of the liver, which is very positive. If you upregulate the P450 liver enzymes and your liver can do a better job of detoxification, that's excellent for you in so many ways. But one of the things that will do is it'll make your liver break the drug down more quickly because it recognizes the drug as a toxic poison. But when you're taking one of these pharmaceuticals where a change in that amount in your blood can really change your ability to function in the world, then it's really better to know about it. And you know, and you, and you have seen this happen right. with milk thistle being taken in what form? In, I don't, I'm not sure exactly what form. It's probably a tincture. Probably a tincture. And probably a tincture made with grain alcohol. Yes, probably it was. And that's what I'm saying. Herbs and capsules 
herbs that have a specific effect that are made in grain alcohol, you might get interactions that if you're using herbs as people's medicine, then we can just set the whole interaction thing aside. I have seen milk thistle used in 100-proof vodka without um, interfering with psychotic drugs. I have worked with people with hypericum, hypericum perforatum tincture of the fresh flowering top in 100-proof vodka, and they are taking pharmaceutical drugs, and it does not precipitate them into a crisis. In fact, generally what happens is they feel so much better from taking the hypericum within a week that they want to start reducing the amount of their drug, which, of course, has to be done slowly and carefully. Right. Well, slowly and carefully is always a good idea. So, uh, you know, in my new book, Abundantly Well, I actually come out and say, if you're going to use, you know, herbs as people's medicine, then worrying about herb-drug interactions, uh, to me, is not really on your screen, and if somebody says, well, you can't um, take a drug that reduces your blood pressure and an herb that reduces your blood pressure, uh, so don't take the herb, what I say is don't take the drug. Because as we've already established, the herb is going to do it as effectively with better side effects, more overall health. And in many, many, many instances, again, because I'm using herbs in non-drug-like forms, um, I see people using both their drug and the herb that they're going to replace it with together and then in whatever way they need to, um, withdrawing themselves from their drugs. It's a fascinating thing. And I, I, my, one of my problems about mainstreaming herbs is that they tend to be mainstreamed as capsules and as um, high, high alcohol, high proof uh, tinctures, which does indeed make them more drug-like, which kind of, to my mind, gives people the wrong idea about how herbs are actually working. And I think that you and I both know this, especially from your work with indigenous people, that it's you know rare that they would powder an herb and put it in a capsule. That's true. In in modern herbal medicine, it's certainly used that way much of the time. And also with some very good effects. If we want our herbs to be like drugs, then I would say the effects are good, but I don't want my herbs to be like drugs. Somebody yesterday said to me, well, you know, does this make, does this increase the potency of the herb? And I said, you know, um, I find that a very male-centered question. Men are very interested in potency, but as a woman, I'm interested in competency. That's a good word. And that's why I use herbs in forms that are much more food-like and much more the way our bodies know uh, to use herbs. The the real, um, the stuff you were talking about that's thousands of years old is not high-grain alcohol tinctures or herbs and capsules. It is these more competent, softer ways of going. Oh, my goodness. We have talked our time up. Dr. Ellen Conhey, I am so excited 
excited about the work that you're doing. I am so thrilled that you are on this planet. Thank you so much. What would you like to say to everyone who's listening to you? What would you like to leave in their minds and their hearts? Well, just the fact that herbs are part of our actually human history and human heritage, and I definitely think it's something everyone should learn more about. Um, If they'd like to get in touch with me, they can always visit me at naturalnurse.com. And really seeing all plants as part of the conscious beings of this earth. And hopefully we can work together plants and people and animals and rocks and minerals and weather, you know, work together to form a a more perfect and shared planet. Oh, such delicious words. We're going to let them sink in. You know, I envision that the work that we're doing is reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients, that we are bringing these ancient ways back into the modern life of people because that ancientness lives within ourselves. And so I want to thank you for the beautiful fibers that you have spun and that you are weaving in to that healing cloak of the ancients. We are all um, healthier. We are all more abundantly well. And we are all um, expanded in our hearts because of the work that you are doing, Dr. Ellen Kami. Well, thank Thank you. you. I do, Susan. And Rebecca, thank you for being here. I know your life's a bit of a roller coaster. Thanks for checking in with us every week. We really appreciate you. And thank you, Justine, for all the work you're doing, my precious daughter. Green blessings to everybody. Remember, herbal medicine is people's medicine. You'll find it right outside your back door. See you next week. See you well. Good night. Thank you, everyone. Good night.